welcome back to the Art and Science of Sound Healing. I'm your host, Thomas Orr Anderson, recording from a beautiful mountain cabin studio in Sewanee, Tennessee, surrounded by thick, rich forests and lots of waterfalls. Tonight we have a very special guest. He is my dear friend. He's a musical artist. He's an event coordinator. He's a father, a husband, and really genuinely one of the most extraordinary people I know. Very honored to have him here. His name is Earl Washington Kelly, and his musical artist name is Zion, spelled X-Y-O-N. Welcome. Thank you for having me, Thomas. It's an honor and a pleasure. So would you first of all just tell us briefly about your background uh, just just where you come from and a little bit of what you do. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I was uh, born and raised in Brooklyn, New York for the first 15 years of my life uh, before moving out to Nashville, Tennessee to live with my mother. Um, around that time, I started to play drums and some local metal and rock bands and which I continue to play in various bands and musical projects around town over the years um, until eventually becoming a rapper and producer and event organizer and etc. I'm a, a husband and a father, like you mentioned. So obviously that happened in that time frame as well. <laughs> so to jump into essentially the kind of the primary topic tonight is forgiveness a really traditionally crucial part of healing is forgiveness we hear a lot about forgiving others and also about forgiving ourselves and how forgiving and forgiveness has this fundamental healing quality about it Earl you have a pretty dramatic story about well about something that happened and then about your experience with forgiveness that arose out of it could you please share with us that story uh yes absolutely <clears throat> so um in february of 2011 my father who was still uh living in new york had passed away and um, from heart failures and heart problems, and uh, basically put us in a position to where we were expecting a check, like a check uh, from his passing. And long story short, um, we ended up in a situation where we were very uh, financially dependent on this potential check that was coming and had not came around. We just found ourselves in a very bad financial position, my family and myself. And I had to resort to some things in order to basically survive and pay the bills. And, um, it led to a pretty extreme situation, uh, where I was set up and was basically shot in the face uh, in my own home in October of 2011. What? <clears throat> I hear you. That's a an unfathomable story. Weren't you sitting in your apartment and your mother and your wife sitting there on the couch? Uh, my wife was not there yet. Uh. And at the time, she was not my wife. Um but yes, my, my mother was present, uh, three of my friends, and um, yeah, it was a, a pretty, pretty extreme situation. Definitely did not foresee that happening in my 24th year on this planet. <laughs> so you were shot point blank in the face, and then were... were the people around you, did they, did they assume you were dead? Uh, yeah. And if not dead at the moment, then 
very close or at least on my way to it. Uh, shot point blank with a 40 Glock, which I'm not much of a weapons or ammunition person, but from what I'm told, that's a pretty high caliber weapon. So yeah, it was not expected for me to live at all. So then you were taken to the hospital and then at some point you were resuscitated or you came back to consciousness. Uh, yes, correct. They actually induced me uh, into a coma with medication because of the, uh, the severe head trauma. Said that it's safer for the brain to not have full activity in order for, you know, it, it risks more permanent damage that way. But I was out for about two days and woke up in the hospital with my mom, my soon-to-be wife, and my daughter all standing around me, and I actually tried to turn my neck to look at my, my, my fiance, and I couldn't move my neck. So at that point, I was under the impression that I was paralyzed. So pretty much burst into tears, brain instantly thinking of all the things that I'd be missing out on, playing drums, hugging my wife, hugging my daughter, climbing a rock, tying my shoes. I mean, the list could go on forever. So at some point you found out that you weren't paralyzed, but you got to see the results uh, on your head. You, you, you look different than you did before it happened. Can you tell the viewers that can't see you anything about, you know, the physical restructuring that occurred? Uh, yes, absolutely. So the, uh, the bullet itself apparently grazed my cheek, went through my left eyeball, and lodged itself in the center of my forehead. So essentially, the way the doctors explained it was that my eyeball actually acted as a sort of shock absorber for the bullet. So in that process, what you end up with is you know, a tiny, a tiny grazing of the cheek, not too bad, stitch that up. Um, I believe the term the doctor used was enucleated for the eyeball, which is a, f I, he said it was a fancy term for liquefy. So no, no left eye anymore. And the bullet lodged in my forehead and they had to perform a uh, surgery where they actually cut my skull open basically took my face off, took out pieces of skull fragments, took out small uh, pieces of my brain that had become damaged from the skull fragments and stapled me back up with 52 staples. So at this moment, I have an, like a indention in my forehead and a missing eyeball. Whoa. <clears throat> I've already heard this story and it, always hits me what a unfathomably intense and profound and overwhelming kind of experience that is on every level. I'm sure most of us out there can't even imagine. Um, so at some point, I don't, how long did it take before you realized that you didn't really suffer brain damage such that, you know, you're still, because you would expect potentially, you know, hey, wait, as I wait a couple of weeks, I might find out that, you know, I can't do a lot of functions I took for granted, be they physical or mental. But then as it turns out, you're, you know, you're healthy, active, your brain works extraordinarily and you're fine. But I imagine for some period of time, you might have expected that that might not be the case. Well, uh, speaking honestly, that was probably the case for a long time. Uh, the doctor made it a point to tell me that they did not believe that I had any permanent brain damage or any loss of any faculties from the brain that they had removed, but obviously, you know, to still be on the lookout for it. So as far as I was aware, I wasn't missing any brain capacity, but um, the paranoia about the possibility of having lost brain capacity was kind of its own torture in and of itself. Um, not to mention the fact that I also had pretty severe migraines and head pains um, 
I mean, even currently up until now, pretty much. So, you know, even after the fear of actual, okay, my brain might function, quote unquote, correctly as far as a brain should, but you might be stuck with migraines that are debilitating for the rest of your life, which was also pretty scary. Well, as far as results go from getting shot point blank in the face, having a bullet lodged in your forehead, you're, it seems to me that migraines are, uh, you know, on the happy side of the potential results. <laughs> Most definitely. But still, nobody likes migraines. To get to uh, really, yeah, your story of or your the results of this. Obviously, most of us, if we had something even a tiny bit as horrible inflicted upon us by another person, we would have tremendous trouble forgiving them. But you have um, apparently found a really tremendous forgiveness, and this has had some major effects upon your art and your life. Could you tell us about that? Okay, um, so to delve a little bit deeper into that, um, one of the people present when I was actually shot was a friend of mine that I had worked with at a job for a few years prior to that. Um, really awesome, you know, sweet guy, kind of person you, you know, trust to babysit your kids or something. Um, and it wasn't until after I got shot that he actually came to my home um, with another friend and basically admitted <clears throat> that he was to some degree involved in my getting shot. Um, he was he wasn't quite straightforward right from the get go. But I mean, in my opinion, it still took a, a pretty great amount of bravery on his part to admit the situation. And in fact, uh, after I got shot, he actually turned himself into the police as well as um, help them to capture the shooter and the accomplice as well, because he, I mean, you know, it sounds stupid, but yes, he knew that they were planning a robbery with a weapon, but he never, in his wildest imagination, actually expected it to get fired or for me to be at the receiving end of that bullet or that gunshot. So um, it turned into a, a whole situation where, you know, it eventually came to light that he was the person who set me up. And I, I have no shame in admitting that I was, uh, I was pretty upset by it. I, uh, I found myself in a position where I felt like I was basically mad at the world God, the universe, whatever I could potentially be mad at. And, um, you know, in retrospect, it, it sounds kind of lame to have even thought that way. But I think the the general the general theme of my thoughts at those points were, am I not a pretty good dude? Essentially, like, have I have I done something to deserve this in some kind of way? Like, have I not been the best person, at least that I felt like I could afford to be. So why would I be in a situation like this? So <clears throat> for quite some time, it was, yeah, it was pretty upsetting. I was uh, just kind of in a dark place and I was in a lot of pain, uh, physically, emotionally, mentally, the whole, the whole ringer, you know? And one of the things that happened was uh, I was prescribed pain medicine and <clears throat> I'm not a big fan of pharmaceuticals or narcotics. So I took half of the recommended dosage of the pain medicines and but still I eventually ran out. Surprisingly, I ran out in a pretty short time. And so naturally I returned to the doctor and explain my situation. Hey, you know, you guys cut my skull open. I've just been shot in the head. Um, I'm experiencing some pain. It was to the point where I was actually, I'd actually purchased a neck pillow 
to try to sit sitting up because I couldn't bear to have my head rest against anything. So I explain to the doctor what's going on and they write me a prescription for medicines that I was somewhat uncomfortable with and um, didn't, yeah, I just didn't feel comfortable taking these medicines after having done my own personal research. So basically to round it out, what that led to was me doing research on the internet and I literally typed in natural ways of healing into a popular search engine and the first thing that popped up was yoga. And <clears throat> what that led to was me beginning my yoga practice as mm. a way to try to find some relief from the pains that I had been feeling and kind of feeling as if uh, Western medical science or whatever you want to call it maybe wasn't the, the proper avenue for that at that point in time. And by doing the yoga that led to me, uh, learning about meditation and kind of falling into meditation. And within a few weeks, I had literally felt better than I had ever felt before I had gotten shot, which was a very crazy feeling to have. So with that coupled together, it kind of made, at that point, it kind of made forgiveness not only seem easy, but almost as if there was no no other alternative, if that makes any sense. Wow. So how long did it take, would you say, and maybe there's no way to estimate because it's gradual, I'm not sure, how long did it take from the time you were shot in the face till you felt as if you had fully, if not fully, very deeply and primarily forgiven for what happened? Um, honestly, <clears throat> it's, uh, it's kind of interesting to, to hear it out loud now, especially. Um, but the timelines for everything were really kind of you can almost say they were they were sped up in a sense. So I was shot October 19th, 2011, um, was unconscious, was uh, up and awake two days later, uh, October 21st. Um, so nine days later, I was released from the hospital, which is, so in total, I spent 11 days in the hospital, which is, I mean, kind of a, pretty amazing fact all on its own but um I would say by January of 2012 um by that time I had gotten into yoga I had been meditating I'd actually started jogging um like everything so by that time I kind of felt as if I was a (laughs) for lack of a better terms I'd become a better me and at that point you know, like I said, the forgiveness just seemed like the only, (laughs) the only logical thing to, to feel at that point. Wow. That's actually really, really fast. That's just a few months, two, two or three months. (laughs) That's really pretty, pretty, uh, surprising. Honestly, I didn't realize it was such a quick process. Can you tell us a little bit about um, how forgiveness has influenced your life and your art? Essentially, uh, in the process of me having been shot, I was waiting to go to court to go to trial. And um, about one or two times, the, uh, the lawyers who were representing the the shooter and his accomplice uh, actually came to visit me once at my home and once at my job. And, you know, <clears throat> the DA for Nashville had already instructed me that I in no way was any under any obligation to speak to his to their lawyers. But I still chose to do so anyway. Um, and, you know, I told the lawyers 
the absolute whole truth about the situations. But the last thing that I said on both visits were, hey, but can you do me a favor? Can you let your defendant know that I forgive him? And I did not know the person who shot me. It was a complete stranger. But, you know, after he was arrested, I'd learned some details through the through the media, which was that he was 22 years old. I was not the first person that he had shot and some other things. And, you know, once upon a time, I had a lot of anger and resentment towards him. But I don't know, looking at his face on the screen and kind of just seeing a kid and then being a, a, a parent myself kind of just made me it just dissolved any kind of any kind of anger I could have had towards him in fact it did something even more specific I started to ask myself questions as if I was this kid's father and I started to think what kind of a life did he have what kind of a people were he was he surrounded with what kind of a community and support did he have and one of the One of the questions that seems like it could be pegged as less important, but another question that arose in my mind was, I wonder what kind of music he listened to. And, you know, without trying to uh, paste anything to any stereotypes or or labels or anything, I was pretty certain that he listened to the kind of music that kind of glorifies and almost encourages people to take part in the kind of lifestyle that this kid, and I use that term like as literally as I can, this kid to, uh, to live that way. So as a result, um, I decided to create music that would kind of be the antithesis to that sort of music that could help inspire people to to learn to explore their their own depths of their forgiveness or how their own compassion or their relationship to themselves and the world around them and the environment around them and so on and so forth. Wow. That definitely adds some dimension to listening to your lyrics, realizing that this experience was part of the inspiration for your music. So you said a few things there, your experience of forgiving him. You, uh, one that you said a couple times, I'll paraphrase, forgive me if, or pardon me if any of my words don't match exactly and please correct me. But you said that forgiveness was an easy, natural, and seemed to be an inevitable result of your yoga and meditation practice. I think that's really extraordinary in and of itself, not looking at forgiveness as something you can, somebody's, you know, can explain to you, hey, you'll feel a lot better and your life will be much better and it'll be a much better choice if you forgive yourself and forgive others. They can tell you that all day and then you try to do it and you just don't feel it. Having some very specific practices in order to put yourself in the position where forgiveness happens naturally, that's something people don't talk about that much. They generally talk about, you know, you really should, it's better to forgive. So go, forgive, <laughs> do it. Can you, can you forgive now? Okay, you're not trying hard enough. And it's like you can try and try and try and try. But then you can instead, another option, and you demonstrated this You can in the, in the most dra- dramatic of circumstances, you can practice meditation, practice yoga, or practice some sort of um, personal exploration discipline that centers you, that brings you to your real self, that brings you to uh, the center in the midst of conditions. So I think it's really beautiful that you pointed out and that you told the very dramatic story of deep, deep forgiveness for something most people might even consider unforgivable, that you found that as an easy, natural, inevitable result 
of yoga and meditation. You also said that you saw him as a child. I really think that that's really beautiful. That's like, you know, how can you, that seems to be inherent part of forgiveness. You know, if you see someone as a child, then you see them as innocent, kind of like your dog that you love so much can do things that you might not forgive a person for because you're like, oh, he's just a dog. He doesn't know better. Same with a child. A child can do things that if a grown adult did, you know, you might naturally judge them for it, but our potentially learning to see people as children is really beautiful and inherent aspect of forgiveness. And you also uh, mentioned seeing him not just as a child, but seeing him as a son. And that's a really magical image. I appreciate your sharing all that. Um, could you tell us a little bit about how it has actually played out into your lyrics? Do you have any lyrics that you might have off the top of your head, you know, that you express any of this? Um, I, I, I have, I have a few sprinkles here and there from a uh, song to song. I, uh, I haven't really tackled the topic as a whole or this specific situation, particularly as a whole, but, um, I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of saving that one, I guess, <laughs> if that makes any sense. Uh, I don't, I don't have anything in particular that even relates to it, um, which is, you know, kind of, kind of funny, like you said, because in a sense, one could even say that, you know, a lot of my, uh, my hip hop artistry has been born out of almost, you know, if not born out of at least, you know, that was a, a catalyst in its, in its becoming. So, um, but I don't know, maybe I'll write something soon now. Can you explain a little bit, or just, do you have any stories that come to mind actually about how this forgiveness has just, um, that's a really more deep and solid and profound forgiveness than most of us can fathom. Can, do you have any stories about how it's just come out in your daily life or how it's uh, healed any, been a healing catalyst or a healing agent for a variety of situations? Um, well, yeah, like you said, a, a variety of situation, obviously, because, you know, <clears throat> forgiveness is something that happens, I feel like, uh, it happens a lot in our lives on, on a, 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 you know, from small scale to large scale, you know, whether it's forgiving somebody who cuts you off in traffic, maybe, which, um, that's something that I've been working on, right? That's something obviously more small scale than forgiving the guy who shot you in the face. Uh, something I've been working on is forgiving people who like, I don't know, cut you off in traffic or maybe steal your parking spot at the grocery store or something like that. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and that's one of the things I like to tell people. I'm like, yeah, I've, I've, I've dealt with forgiveness in some very large ways and I'm, I'm working on ways to, uh, integrate it to where it's like just holistically a part of who I am and what I do in all ways, shapes and form. But like, yeah, you know, I get angry at the guy who pulls out in front of me, but, um, definitely something in your head goes like, come on, man, you forgave the guy who shot you in the face that you've never met. How can you not forgive this guy in the green Durango or whatever? So um, one of the things I definitely (laughs) encourage, even outside of just like developing practices that are designed for um, almost with the intention of going within, like going deeper within yourself, but also coming up with little little mental tricks like the one that I've come up with now for traffic is, okay, every single person on the road is part of a team. We're all on the same team. So by adopting that personality, like essentially if someone gets over in front of me, instead of going like, you know, looking at it as we're on opposing teams and now you're closer to the gold or the, the, the score or whatever 
it's like, oh, well, we're on the same team. So I'm actually just letting you in so that you can get where you need to go. And I mean, like I said, that's just one small little thing that I've been working on. One of the things that I also find that forgiveness helps me a lot with is, uh, and I don't know how relevant this is to <laughs> to everyone, depending on how, uh, how much you're on social media, but having uh, online discussions slash debates with people on social media. I find that by um, kind of adapting some of the things that I've, I've learned through my forgiveness practices, I guess you could call them, uh, it makes it easier for me to speak with someone with a completely differing opinion or even opposing opinion or philosophy than mine. And uh, to just kind of not take it so personally as if <laughs> as if like their ideas are physically attacking me or like causing me harm. I feel like that causes a lot of conflict on in this virtual reality, social media realm that we've created. It's interesting. You can you you said those two things back to back, <clears throat> but I've very often connected them. Uh, road rage and social media troll type behavior is because it, they're both based on having a person sort of uh, removed from being a human. You just see somebody on the road, they're just a met, another metal box. They're not really a person. They're not your family. They're just a metal box. So you don't see it as a person. You don't look them in the eye. The same with people on social social media. I see people that are some of the kindest people I ever meet when they're on social media. They're cruel and egotistical in uh, all kinds of ways that that indicate that they don't see the 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 person that they're communicating to. They see some idea of that person. Uh, you mentioned that that sense of seeing that practice of seeing us all being on one team. I think that that is, if I were to have the, to state my personal experience with sound healing and my personal philosophy of it and my approach, what I've seen work the best, and also deeply rooted in my studies of Qigong and <clears throat> also studies of complex systems and fractals and chaotic systems and ecosystems and such. You said the idea, the image or the vision or the contemplation of us all being on one team. That is, yeah, that's, that's, this summarizes my, my view on sound healing fundamentally. So for example, if your, your body parts, if you have any problem in your body, if you have an illness, if you have, say you have a heart problem, the heart problem can be viewed through the, the kind of the lens of seeing that when the heart is malfunctioning, that's a symptom of parts of your body not being on the same team. When everything is completely on the same team, then you have health. And when some part of you is suddenly not on the team, then you have illness. Even cancer cells, for example, that you can look at them through that lens as these are cells that are not on the team. And so using sound though and then this is the primary way i utilize it for therapeutic or wellness practices is essentially focusing upon using the sound to remind all the various parts of you that they're on the same team or to put them in to put your body mind emotions every aspect of you both physical objective and internal and subjective to create an environment, to create a situation where the fact that all of it is on one team is inevitably noticeable. Um, 
where you feel it, you sense it, you're vibrating in it. So just for to bring this down to you know the real world, put somebody on a sound immersion system or a sound table and play really beautiful music through it into their body. They're hearing it in their ears, they're sensing it with their emotions, their mind. They're also vibrating their feet, their chest, their head. Every cell, every organ of their body has this beautiful music playing through it. And it's, it it's, um, induces or it, it revives the cooperative principle that, you know, if my heart is vibrating the same way as my foot because they're experiencing the same music playing through them, they are, in a sense, collaborating um, just simply through that vibration. Another way to look at it <clears throat> is to look at the music or the sound as like a, uh, in a symphony orchestra, you have the conductor. So imagine all the parts of your body are the um, instrumentalists in the symphony. And the conductor doesn't really do anything. They don't play an instrument. They're not making the music. What they're doing is giving everybody a visual cue that helps them re uh, helps them keep cooperative to play together. So the the conductor's not playing any music. They're giving a signal. They're helping everyone to play together. They're helping everything cooperate. And that's what I see as the main sort of action of sound for, for healing in, the, in its most basic form. And if you look at indigenous healing practices all around the world and you look at them in context of the, the model I just presented, they generally fit that model very, very well. Um, some sort of activity situation involving sound is given, a person's put in that situation and exposed to sound and maybe other things, herbs, um, movement, uh, visuals, all, all environments, our environmental factors, mental factors, all together, but the sound is part of this complex um, uh, system that's subjected to someone in order to induce in them just cooperation the cooperation that comes to us very naturally. So I find it really interesting and exciting that you bring that up, that part of your forgiveness practice has been uh, contemplating that we are all on the same team and that that very contemplation induces forgiveness, which is a fundamental part of healing. And likewise, when we help all the parts of our body and mind and emotions to restore their cooperation when we see that they're all working together also we experience healing effects so it's interesting that it works on the outside as well as on the inside yeah definitely seems like uh yeah it seems like the concept of uh you know oneness or being connected or sharing goals or intentions with the things around you, whether it be, you know, all the particular cells in an organ, all of the organs and systems in a body, or, you know, all of the living things in a, in a universe, you know, <laughs> seems like a, just, uh, almost naturally and inherently just makes more sense that the more, you know, in tuned and in focus you are with that connection, kind of the better off you are. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so simple and so straightforward. It's so simple that I think that people very often aren't attracted to it because mm. it's it's kind of like someone telling you to have fun. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they say, you know, the secret to the to life is to have fun. And it sounds so simple, but imagine taking it up. Imagine you wake up in the morning and, you know, you're getting out of bed and you remember, I'm going to have fun getting out of bed. And then, you know, you, you got to go start a fire or whatever, 
it is you do in the morning. I, <laughs> I start a fire, you know, go make coffee, going to have fun. And then imagine, you know, now you've got to do paperwork for, you know, it's time to go through your receipts for the month. Now you have to have, now you're going to try to have fun doing that. All of a sudden having fun as a discipline becomes a lot more challenging than it, than it at first appears. To, if you were to take up having fun as a discipline, it is as challenging as anything I could ever think of because so many things aren't very easy to have fun doing. Um, so I don't, I, it's just an example of the simplicity, you know, the simplicity of putting yourself in an environment that relaxes you. Relaxation is such a big part of healing. Or alternatively, it's much easier for most people to hear this. That sounds so, you know, whatever, relaxation is good for you. Let's look at it the other way. Stress causes cancer. That is the most well-established cancer research data, that stress is the most perfectly connect correlated human condition with cancer and people don't hear that and they people are on this search for the cure for cancer and then the doctors are saying it loud and clear and all the research is saying it loud and clear that stress causes cancer so using just a pretty tiny bit of logic we can see that if stress causes cancer, then a lack of stress doesn't cause cancer, the cancer that would be caused by the stress. So you're actually removing the likelihood of cancer. So another way of looking at that is you're healing by relaxing. So relaxing is so, so important. And what's more relaxing than forgiveness? How much tension do we carry in ourselves from not forgiving ourselves for our own mistakes or our own perceived inadequacies? Uh, Or how much tension do we carry in ourselves uh, deep in our mind and our subconscious from memories of, you know, the kid that beat us up when we were a kid or some people's parents were mean to them. Some people had all sorts of horrible things in them happen to them. And we carry, we get programmed with these, uh, you know, traumas deep in our subconscious and we carry it around as stress. And that's so well known. And so anything that can, in a very effective, holistic, and uh, with, with no negative side effects can relieve our stress. That's a really big healing uh, component of healing. And... What, yeah, like I just said, what's more relaxing than forgiveness? I mean, that's deep, deep relaxation. And it's such an amazing thing that you got to learn about it in such a dramatic way. Most of us learn in these little, tiny, little baby steps. And you had to do it, you know, all in one big go. And um, I, I see, I hear your lyrics and see the way you live your life and recognize that that gives you a certain strength um, if from nothing else maybe from I'm just kind of making this up but maybe it's it's true that from from having been through something so tremendous that that other things it's easier to think oh this is no big deal I've been shot in the face and you know, so compared to that, what is this little situation? Because you definitely demonstrate a lot of strength in your daily life. I recognize it in your just basic way of of living. Um, is uh, at this point, can you tell us a little bit about how people can hear your music and um, maybe get in contact with you or? Which whatever you'd like them to know about your your media or social media or ways of yeah hearing your music. Um, yeah, absolutely. So um, my musician name I go by or artist name I go by Zion. 
uh, spelled X-Y-O-N. Um, if you basically type Zion Hip Hop into, you know, your favorite search engine, I'll pretty much pop up all over the place. I'm actually working on some releases right now. But, um, you know, if you're really feeling up to it, just find me Earl Washington Kelly the second on Facebook and connect with me that way. Um, I much rather actually, you know, <laughs> connect in that manner. But also, of course, soundcloud.com slash Zion Hip Hop. You can look me up on Spotify, all that good stuff. Fantastic. So is there anything else you would like to share? Oh, actually, I have one more thing I kind of I wanted to ask you, but I didn't quite figure out how to word it. Let me see if I can find this. So I've known you for a, a number of years and I, and you know, I've spent a lot of time talking to you about some pretty profound and deep topics of life and the universe and whatnot. And I've seen that you've been, you've gone through very, a couple different or probably in, you know, many, many different phases, but a couple kind of identifiable, uh, uh, I don't know if this is the right way to say it, but phases of your approach and interest in thing, uh, topics that might be considered metaphysical or spiritual. I've seen you really kind of interested in really, really far out cosmic kind of sci-fi alien spirit dimensional kind of stuff and then also I've seen you um your sort of metaphysical spiritual uh, approach seeming more sort of earthly and grounded and focused on doing good things in the world and on you know being a good father and on you know working with your hands and and things like that which seems sort of kind of like two poles of our, our, of the human one being the, you know, just inner kind of mental dimensions of things you can imagine. And another being just really solid here in the world, like Zen monk style, you know, eat your, eat your food and drink your water and clothe yourself and do good things in the world. Can you tell us anything about those two poles and your feelings about how those fit together and maybe how they don't fit together or just anything about the topic I just brought up. It's sort of a broad and peculiar topic without a clear question, but if there's anything you could say about that, I'd appreciate it. Uh, yeah, most definitely. So, um, after, you know, obviously after, well, not obviously, but (laughs) after I was shot and, survived and was here I guess it's pretty common a lot of times for people you know and if you really think about it you could picture several different ways that someone could react to something like that in regards to their um uh in regards to kind of uh say their spiritual identity or something of that sort for instance one route the route that I'm very glad that I was able to avoid is someone who at that point like like holds a grudge, not even just at the person who shot them, but like literally at the universe and world around them that would even host such a situation. You know what I mean? So it's like at that point, it's like I just hate everything and everyone. This world is obviously flawed. Because here I am shot in the face, although a survivor, but still, you know, oh, I get migraines, I'm missing an eye, so on and so forth. Um, and then kind of another side to that is the complete opposite. Someone who's like, ah, oh, you know, every breath is holy and every blade of grass is a miracle. And like, we are all so uh, like lucky and fortunate to be here. And, um, you know. I kind of flipped from one to the other on, on, on both of those. But what that led to was, yeah, definitely a lot of the second where I felt very, 
you know, the question of like, why me? You know, why me? I actually have friends who, one particular friend who was shot in the chest with a smaller weapon than I was about actually almost exactly a year and a half before I was shot and he died instantly. So yeah, that was one of the questions I asked myself, like, why me? Why am I still here? And, you know, it kind of led to this, well, maybe I'm here for a reason, which, you know, now in retrospect, I'd say, yeah, I think everything and everyone is here for a reason. That's kind of how it seems like it works to me. But um, so, yeah, in that, you know, trying to to cling to or, or seek out some reason for me being here, I got into a lot of uh, theories and philosophies and having to do with metaphysics, um, multiple higher dimensions of frequencies, resonance. These were like a lot of the terms that got tossed around a lot, but essentially it, it, a lot of it felt like these words are words that have specific definitions and uses in science and so on and so forth. And they were kind of being used in a different way. They were kind of like using real words to speak this kind of unspoken thing that was so, so hard to grasp that it, it kind of really couldn't hold up to any scrutiny, if that makes any sense. Almost like a science of something that you can't even, you can't test, you can't see. It almost doesn't really exist. And I feel like, you know, myself, I grew up a complete hardcore sci-fi like nerd. And I feel like that kind of stuff appealed to me, you know, aliens, humans from the future, hyperdimensional portal, telekinetic crystal grids, all of this stuff, you know, it was very, um, <laughs> it was very like awe inducing, like, ah, oh, yes, it's like, it's like the Bible, but like trippier, it's like, it's like Lord of the Rings or Star Wars. Or yes, exactly. All of those things crystal. mashed up into one. And um, where I had eventually found myself, and, and again, this is, this is not to take um, a, a stab or to be any kind of like offense towards people who, who do find those kinds of things, you know, being, uh, being useful to them or fruitful for them in their practices or endeavors. But I, I found myself in a situation where it was basically like, I'm so concerned about uh, raising the vibrational frequency of the human consciousness so that we can ascend into the fifth dimension, yet like my dishes are dirty, uh, my dog could use a bath, I could probably do my own laundry. And so at that point, the main questions that just... It's like anytime I had a thought like that, there was always like a more stern voice in my head that would go, what is the practical value of this? Like, turn to your left, look at your wife, turn to your right, look at your daughter, uh, ask yourself how this is strengthening your bonds with them. Ask yourself how this is strengthening your relationship with yourself. How is this making you more compassionate? How is this basically making you a better human being? in general. And like I said, for me personally, I couldn't find a whole lot of answers to those questions. So at that point, it kind of felt easier to just kind of sit back and not sit back, so to speak, but to, to step back away from all those things and focus on things that I felt were more fruitful to where I was in my life at that point. So, so what you're saying really reminds me of something a teacher once taught me. He uh, taught me, this was a Qigong teacher, but, a, you know, a teacher of all sorts of meditation and healing arts. And he taught me that the human is somewhat like a pyramid that, and that people, when they first start their sort of spiritual or metaphysical life, whether that happens through an accident or some special occasion or an extraordinary experience of whatever kind, that we will very naturally, when we first witness these sort of other dimensions, we'll naturally really focus on them 
and really, really become devoted to these otherworldly concepts and ideas and, and visions and regions of our experience. And that's somewhat, and that will neglect our sort of daily life. And that's somewhat like building a pyramid upside down, having the, the big part be at the top and then the point be at the bottom. And then when someone's in that position, they are very, very unbalanced. And I've witnessed this a great deal, not only in other people, but also and most primarily in myself. I built my pyramid upside down first. And what he taught me was that in their ancient traditions, he was from Korea, but he's part of a sort of a broader Far Eastern tradition that um, that through proper training, particularly under the guidance of a qualified instructor, one will build their pyramid with the base first on the bottom. So first of all, so you may go to a, a great Qigong teacher or Zen master and they might first of all say, hey, do you have, are you strong? Have you done your push-ups? Have you gone running? Are you getting enough sleep? Are you eating well? Then second of all, are you being kind and generous? Are you helping people? Are you doing good things for the people around you? Also, are you supporting yourself? Are you working in some way that helps, you know, that sustains your, your life? Are you doing a good job? Are you keeping a work ethic? All these really sort of mundane seeming things are what we do first. And then built upon those comes our spiritual life. And then when we build our spiritual life that way, we have this really strong foundation like a pyramid that can't be easily toppled over. You try to push a pyramid over, it's basically impossible. Try to push an upside-down pyramid over, you can just go, <laughs> and it falls over. And you can witness that in people that are genuinely people really early on in their spiritual life. If they're lucky, like you and I, it's only... You know, early on before they realize that, you know, it's uh, you, you seem to have learned it on your own. For me, it required an instructor to clarify it for me. But uh, your experience with forgiveness is definitely in that realm of spirituality or a spiritual experience that's really, really grounded in life, grounded into this world, you're actually forgiving another person that you can see them or think of them. That's an actual, it's an other, it's a real person that you can touch. A person that gets hungry, a person that has to sleep, a person with feelings and thoughts. It's not something even it's not easy to conceive that other person as being imaginary and putting our spiritual practice, first of all, into actually the things we touch, the things we taste, we see, we hear, we smell, the, the, the world that we are here on earth in. And then from that really deeply rooted, grounded spirit life, it builds into a place where maybe we start to see or to hear or to contact these realms of the human experience that are otherworldly or supraworldly or spiritual or whatever you'd like to call it, but able to do that with a really strong, unshakable foundation. And I am really grateful for you sharing that story at rings true for me and I'm sure for a lot of our listeners. So thank you for being with us tonight, Zion. No problem, Thomas. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. So I think we're going to close out here. Until next time, this is Thomas Orr Anderson.
on the art and science of sound healing. Thank you.